You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, this morning we uh, acknowledge that you uh, have your rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. You're worthy of our worship. And Jesus, we know that through the cross and your resurrection, we have a certainty (laughs) is that one day you will take everything that is broken and make it new. In fact, you've already begun that in our lives and in our world. And so this morning, Jesus, we we bring our brokenness to you. We bring our hurt, our disappointment, our sin to you. And we ask Jesus once again, through the power of your cross and your resurrection, that you'd make us new, you'd bring your healing. And that Jesus, as I think ahead to the conversation that we have on truth and reconciliation, oh, how we need it. And Lord, we, we want to even create space and acknowledge this morning that, that the church, this beautiful bride that we are a part of, that in history there are dark stains and we have caused harm. Maybe not personally, but maybe personally. And we just acknowledge that, Lord Jesus. And we acknowledge this morning that the one to whom we have just been singing <laughs> is the one who makes all things new. And so we trust you because we know there is a way forward for healing for all the nations of the earth. For that is the story that you have made possible through your cross. And so we thank you for that. And so we enter in this morning with anticipation of your further work in our lives and in our city and in our world. And so we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and, and have a seat. Uh, and so we, we enter into our, our Let's Talk series uh, in, into our second week. And, and, and Let's Talk is all about uh, talking about things in the church that either we're not talking about at all or that everyone else is talking about, and so should the church. And so we have a bit of a simple format. Uh, we have about a 30, 35-minute message. Then following the message, uh, we invite you to text in your questions, uh, which uh, Melissa will take in real time here this morning. Uh, and, uh, and then following that, we send you home to continue the conversation with some follow-up questions and some resources. Uh, and so that's what we're here for. Uh, first, to let you know uh, that we um, uh, maybe, can we get the, the phone number up there? Uh, so if you have questions along the way, you might want to take note of this uh, phone number. It'll be up at various points this morning. Uh, This uh, is a text service, so it's going to eventually make its way to my phone, but I don't see who's texting me. So uh, so you can send in your your honest questions that way, and we encourage you to that. So let me invite up Melissa uh, this morning. Uh, Melissa is the lead pastor at Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay. Uh, And for those of you who who maybe are connected in Alliance Circles, we are an Alliance Church, of course, as is Redwood. Uh, But Melissa was also a speaker at the Pastors' Conference at Ambrose in May uh, Mm -hmm. as well. And so so without further ado, I'm going to hand things over to Melissa. I'll just grab the stand for you here. All right. Uh, Good morning. morning. (laughs) It's so good to be here. It's so great to be in Kelowna. I welcome any chance to uh, come here. I haven't lived in Thunder Bay for very long, actually, but I'll tell you about that in just a moment. So as Keith said, my name is Melissa. 
Uh, I am a descendant of Chief Joe Harris of the Namgis First Nation of the Kwakwakwak people of Vancouver Island. I am also a descendant of Annie Summers from England, of Oli Loris from Norway, of George Barr from Ireland. Uh, I'm married to Jay. Jay is also a pastor at Redwood Park Church. Uh, we've been married for 22 years. We've got two kids. I have one of my kids here with me. I don't know where they're sitting, where she's sitting right now. But anyways, I have one daughter with me today. <laughs> and I have a picture of uh, our family. So it's a little bit far away, but that's my family. Uh, when we were in Alert Bay, which is where, where my family's originally from uh, last summer, we're actually standing underneath our family crest. That's a thunderbird holding a salmon, in case you were wondering. Uh, so we moved to Thunder Bay uh, about a year and a half ago, right in the middle of COVID. Uh, I've lived most of my life on the West Coast, or actually in Kamloops. We lived in Kamloops for high school, and I went to a TRU for university. And um, I have a map of Thunder Bay, because my guess is probably most people have never... Who's been to Thunder Bay? Anybody driven through Thunder Bay? Actually, it's more than I thought. <laughs> Most people who travel, uh, drive across the country, usually dip down below the Great Lakes, but there we are where that big arrow is. Uh, we're very isolated. So we're about eight hours in one direction to Winnipeg, eight hours in the other direction to Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, and all of those little tiny towns above us are primarily First Nations communities and reserves that are remote access. Uh, accessible only by plane, uh, some of them by ice road in the winter, uh, but fairly, fairly isolated. Uh, Thunder Bay is a regional hub for all of those communities. We've got a good hospital, uh, university, uh, schools, and um, so our population is about 110,000, but it's about one-third First Nations. It's hard to uh, figure out what the population is because people come for health treatments for a period of six months or something like that. Uh, Thunder Bay is a nice place to live or a not-so-nice place to live, depending on who you are. Uh, the majority of the people that I meet uh, in our church, primarily, who are because of COVID and moving in the middle of a pandemic, I've only really met people from our church, uh, People love Thunder Bay. It's also lake country. We're on the north shore of Lake Superior, which is a much colder lake than your lake. We don't really swim in Lake Superior, but there are about 70,000 lakes in the region. So it's an outdoor, um, just a wonderful place for outdoor activities. Uh, lots of mountain biking and rock climbing and skiing. We produce the highest number of NHL players per capita in all of Canada. Uh, the Stahl brothers are from Thunder Bay, and uh, some of them attend our church. Uh, so anyways, uh, Thunder Bay, good place to live for some people. However, if you are First Nations, not so good. Uh, when we were considering moving to Thunder Bay, my dad said, why would you move to one of the most racist places in Canada? Uh, Thunder Bay has the dubious distinction right now of being the murder capital of Canada. And most of the people who are murdered are First Nations. Uh, it has some of the highest suicide rates among children and youth, uh, high addictions. And like I said, we have, uh, we're a hub for schools. Uh, most of the northern communities around us uh, don't have high schools. And so parents who live in those communities have the choice to either have their kids be unschooled past grade eight, or come to a school called Dennis Franklin Cromartie, which is about three blocks from our church. Uh, the, 
the school doesn't have dorms, so the kids are billeted out. And depending on the year and the number of families who sign up to be billets, I've heard rumors, I don't know if this is true, but that many of the kids end up living in shelters or couch surfing while they're attending school. Uh, there was a book that was put out, I want to say five years ago, called Seven Fallen Feathers by Tanya Talega, where she outlined how over a period of about 15 years, the last 15 years, seven students from Dennis Franklin Camardi School ended up dying suspicious deaths. It wasn't investigated properly by the police force, so now the Thunder Bay Police Force, maybe you've read about the Thunder Bay Police Force in the news. Uh, once again, it's under investigation for systemic racism and not handling cases properly, including the deaths of those students. So why would we move to Thunder Bay? The simple answer is that God was calling us, and it completely aligned with our calling. So my husband is the pastor of spiritual formation, and I'm the lead pastor there. And uh, like I mentioned, I am of dual ethnicity. I'm First Nations, I'm also white. And uh, it's another story altogether, I'm not gonna tell it today, but over a period of about three months or so, God got very, very specific with me about my calling as a pastor. He said, you're a call to the bride, which is the church, and you are a bridge. You are a bridge. And when I first started hearing this from God, that I'm a bridge, I thought it was specific to First Nations reconciliation. But the more I began to um, lean into this, the more I began to realize that this call to be a bridge, which is really the call to reconciliation, is the call for the entire church. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. It's the story, it's, one of, it's the overarching theme from the very beginning to the very end end of the Bible. And so to understand truth and reconciliation, First Nations reconciliation, we have to embed it into this bigger biblical picture, which is the calling of the whole church. So we're going to do that today. And we're going to start at the very, very beginning of the Bible. I'm going to paraphrase Genesis 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read a passage from Genesis 3. So if you're fairly new and you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 is the very, very first chapter, the two first chapters of the Bible, and it goes like this. In the beginning, there was only God. God is mysteriously three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and in this way, God is a relationship. I've heard it say by a mentor of mine that at the center of the universe is a relationship. Now, God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it with just his words. And after he creates everything, he says, it is good. He declares everything good. And then he makes man in his own image. Now, because man is made in God's image and God is a relationship, man is made for relationship. So for the very first time, God looks at this man that he has created, and he says, it is not good because man is lonely. So God creates a woman, Eve, and they live in relationship with one another, and they live in relationship with God, and they're placed in this beautiful, biodiverse, abundant garden, and they're given a job. Take care of the earth, and the earth will take care of you. It'll provide you with food and shelter, and you'll connect with God in the garden. And then the very, very last sentence of Genesis chapter 2 is, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. I used to be a family pastor, and every time I taught on this, everybody would start giggling at this point. So that brings us to Genesis 3. But before we go there, I just want to point out 
four things in Genesis 1 and 2. We see four important, good relationships that are meant for human flourishing. The first relationship is the relationship between humans and God. Human beings are meant to live in relationship with God. This is the first and most important relationship. Everything else flows from this. The second relationship is between humans and the earth. Now remember, they're placed in this garden, they're given the job to take care of the earth, but they're also connecting with God when they're out in his creation. It's why when we're out on the lake or we're going for a hike, uh, we feel close to God and we feel more human and more alive. It's because this is the way we were designed. The third relationship is humans with each other. Now, like I said, the only time that God said it is not good is when Adam was alone. We are meant to be in relationship with one another. Human beings are not meant to be alone. And the fourth relationship is humans with themselves. Now, remember how Adam and Eve are naked and they feel no shame. Shame is the feeling of not being good enough, of not measuring up. Uh, the shame researcher Brené Brown talks about shame as being the not-enoughness feeling. So Adam and Eve are totally naked, so they're totally vulnerable with each other and with God, but they're secure in their identity and their self-worth because they know who they are made in the image of God. So we get to Genesis 3, and we see a turn in the story. The four relationships break down. So we're going to read uh, Genesis 3 verses 1 to 10, and uh, 21 to 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it, but I also have it up on the screen. It starts like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And I want to just pause for a second. I don't want to assume uh, anything about uh, this community. So just in case you're wondering who this serpent is, the serpent is thought of by biblical scholars as being Satan. Once an angel of light, worshiping God in his throne room, rebels against God, uh, and it, it doesn't work, doesn't work out for him, doesn't go well. And so now he is bent on taking out God by taking out God's good creation, by taking out his children. And so pay attention as this serpent, this evil one, breaks down all four of those relationships. So he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then the next number of verses goes into God's response to Adam and Eve as a result of them breaking relationship with him. And we pick up in verse 21. 
The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Before I go on, I just want to pause and pray for a moment. So if you pray with me. Father, we thank you that you made us, that you love us, and that you've made us in such a way that we flourish when we're living in relationship with you and your earth and with others and with ourselves. And so this morning we pray that by the power of your spirit, you'd illuminate the text for us. You'd open our eyes and our hearts to hear what it is that you have for us today, your church. Amen. So we're going to talk about how in Genesis 3, all of those four, or those four good relationships were broken, starting with the relationship with, between humans and God. And I'm just going to give a little analogy to start. I'm allergic to eggs. Uh, you might be wondering why I'm talking about being allergic to eggs, but just bear with me for a moment. Uh, I haven't always been allergic to eggs. I used to really love eggs. And I imagine if all of a sudden I was healed and I could eat eggs again, I would love it again. I loved eggs so much that I would take any opportunity to eat breakfast at every meal so that I could eat eggs at every meal. My favorites were poached eggs for breakfast, uh, scrambled eggs for dinner. But when I became allergic, I thought, or discovered this allergy, I thought, I'm gonna continue eating this breakfast for every meal. So I would substitute like avocado on toast for eggs, or I found this tofu scramble for scrambled eggs. And here's what I discovered. What makes a good breakfast meal are the eggs. <laughs> if you take out the eggs, it's not the same. It doesn't work the same. The eggs were the centerpiece, at least for me. So it's the same in the relationship that we have with God. God is the centerpiece. God is the most important component. Uh, if you take out God, nothing else is the same. Can you have a relationship with each other and with the earth and be in a right relationship with ourselves? Sure, but without God at the center of it, it just doesn't shine. It's just not going to work completely the way that it is supposed to. So we see in Genesis 3 that Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve eat from that tree that they're not supposed to touch, and their relationship with God is broken. When they eat from that tree, it's like they're saying, I don't need you, God. I don't need to be in relationship with you. I don't need to depend on you. I don't need to trust you. I'm going to do it for myself. But when their eyes are opened and they realize that they've sinned against God, all of a sudden they're afraid of him and they hide from him behind some trees. So this is the first and most important relationship. And like I said, everything else flows out of this one. So we see that everything else falls apart. So the next one is the relationship between humans and the earth. Now, as I was preparing this message, I must have been hungry because I have another analogy, and it happens to do with food as well. <laughs> uh, when I was younger, uh, I really hated tomatoes. I see my sister up there, and you, you hated them as well. We both hated tomatoes, unless it was in ketchup. We liked ketchup on everything, just not fresh tomatoes. But when I was in my late 20s, I had a conversion experience. 
my husband Jay and I lived um, and worked for an, an ecology center called Arasha. It's a Christian environmental organization committed to caring for God's earth out of this mandate that we have from God to care for it. And so one of the things that we did is we ran a community shared agriculture program. Now I say we as if I did it, I had nothing to do with it. We had a guy named Paul, a friend of ours, and Paul was the farmer and the gardener. Uh, I got to benefit from Paul's work. So every morning I would walk out into the garden and I'd ask Paul, what's in season today? And Paul would point out something and that would become the lunch or the dinner. Uh, and there was this one day where I walked out and I said, Paul, what's in season today? And he walks me over to the tomato patch. And he's really excited and I didn't say anything. And then he picks his cherry tomato and he wraps it in basil and he gives it to me and I didn't have the heart to tell him that I hate tomatoes because Paul was so excited. So I popped it in my mouth and my eyes were opened <laughs> and I fell in love. Not with Paul, but with the tomatoes. Uh, the only tomatoes that I had ever eaten before were the tomatoes you buy in the grocery store that are like picked when they're not ripe and they're shipped from California and they're mushy and they don't taste good. But when I tasted a tomato picked when it's supposed to be picked, paired with basil, warmed from the sun, ugh, nothing like it. Now I'm a lover of tomatoes, but only fresh tomatoes. Uh, I've told this story once in my church and the next Sunday somebody came with a basket of tomatoes for me from her garden. But uh, anyways... You might say that my relationship with tomatoes was broken because I was disconnected from the earth. I was disconnected with the earth's ability to grow good food in season and enjoy it, which in the Okanagan, you guys get this. Uh, the rest of Canada is very envious of what you guys have got going on here. So did you notice in Genesis 3 how the first act of disobedience against God is also an act of environmental degradation. Uh, they pick the fruit from the tree that they're not supposed to eat, and in doing so, they're using God's creation in a way that it was never intended to be used. Their relationship with the earth is severed, and then it's further severed when God um, removes them from the Garden of Eden, and all of a sudden now the ground is going to be hard for them to work. Uh, we don't have to look very far or very hard to see how we are not living in right relationship with the earth. And I'm not going to go into all of the details. I'm sure you guys understand this. Um, all of the ways that we are not connected and humanity isn't connected. The next broken relationship is the one between humans and each other. And again, I probably don't have to point out very much how our relationship with one another is broken. Uh, you only have to look at the news or scroll through social media. There was a story a couple weeks ago in the national news about one of the leaders of, our, of a federal party uh, experienced the worst verbal attack that he had ever had while he was out. Uh, and then a, a follow-up story was talking about how all politicians are reporting that they're feeling more and more, um, they're feeling more and more unsafe, actually, because of the polarization, because of the aggression, uh, because of... Uh, we're, we're getting more and more divided. Uh, you probably have felt it in your home or in your families or in your church even perhaps or in your social circles or in your work. Uh, it just seems like more and more and more people are getting further and further and further away from each other and more and more entrenched in different kinds of positions. But this is not the way that it's supposed to be. 
But we see that this brokenness between people started in Genesis. Uh, When Adam and Eve eat the fruit and their eyes are opened, they cover themselves with fig leaves. All of a sudden, there's a barrier between them. They're no longer vulnerable and open with one another. But they also blame each other. All of a sudden, they're not taking responsibility for their own actions. Adam is throwing Eve under the bus. Uh, There's something now between them, and this carries on and on and on and on until we're at this point where we are today. And this all culminates in the fourth broken relationship between humans and themselves. Now, Adam and Eve, remember, before they eat, they're totally vulnerable with one another. They feel no shame, no self-consciousness, no self-doubt, no self-hatred. Doesn't this sound like a nice way to live? <laughs> to never worry about how you st- where you stand with somebody else or with God. To know that you are fully loved by the Creator. To be secure in your body image to love yourself the way that God loves you, to see yourself as God loves you, free from what culture tells us is beautiful or right or good, to live without anxiety or stress stress or mental illness because we know our identity in Christ. This is the way that it's supposed to be. This is the way that we are meant to live. But we see in Genesis 3 that as Adam and Eve sin, as they break relationship with God, All of a sudden, their eyes are opened, they cover themselves up from one another, and they also hide from God. Any time we're hiding anything away is a sign that shame is at work. Shame is at work when we hide ourselves away, when we feel feel like we are unacceptable or unworthy or unlovable. This is our origin story. This is what it looks like when we're not living rightly with God or the earth or one another or ourselves. So I want you to think for a moment about some brokenness in the world. It could be a broken relationship that you have with somebody, um, or it could be like a big issue in the world. So I want you just to think about something for a moment, something that's been weighing on you lately. See if you can trace that to one of those four relationships being broken. Now, thankfully, in Genesis 3, we see the seeds of the beginning of God's rescue plan to make all things right again, to bridge the broken relationships. In Genesis 21, we read, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God saw that the flimsy fig leaf coverings they had uh, would never do. They could never, ever cover their own shame. And so God is the one who kills the first animal in the Bible. It's the first sacrifice in the Bible, sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve's shame so that they could live in a right relationship with one another and with God and with the earth and with themselves. But this points to a bigger sacrifice that would be coming, uh, made by God. God could see over and over and over again, and you see this through the whole Old Testament part of the Bible, the first part of the Bible before Jesus, that human beings could not bridge the gap themselves to God. 
They could not bridge the gaps between them and other people. They could not bridge the gaps between them and the earth or themselves living rightly in knowing who they are as God's people. And so God comes himself as Jesus. He sacrifices himself on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And the way that I like to define forgiveness of sins, or the best definition I found for that, is sin is the things that we do to break relationships. The things that we do to break relationship with God or the earth or each other or ourselves. And so Jesus comes for the forgiveness of sins. And the purpose of that is so that we can be back in those relationships again. And then we read, and when we get to the very end of the Bible, that Jesus will come back again. And he will restore, he will reconcile all those relationships perfectly where all people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be before the throne of God, worshiping him together in the new heavenly garden city. But before that happens, we have been given a specific job. Followers of Jesus have been given a specific role to participate in God's ministry, his mission to reconcile all things. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, the Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, not counting the way that people have broke, broke, broken relationships against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a bridge builder. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been reconciled to God through Christ, and you are called to participate in God's mission to reconcile the world. As Canadians, though, when we hear the word reconciliation, we often think of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. As Christians, when we look at indigenous reconciliation through the lens of this big biblical picture of reconciliation, we can see when we look back on Canada's history, where things went wrong. But we can also look forward and we can see a hope for a future where things can be made right. Um, traditionally, in First Nations culture, including my own Namgus culture, First Nations people understand that to live rightly with God, to live rightly with Creator, just means that I'm living rightly with the earth and with other people and with myself. Those things are intertwined. You cannot break them apart. That's where traditional culture, traditional First Nations culture, aligns with the biblical story. Uh, it would have been really, really easy to introduce Jesus, the one who came to make all of those relationships, even better, to actually fulfill them, to actually complete them. Now, the very first settlers in Canada did not come with a message of reconciliation. It came with the opposite, deliberately breaking the relationships. I'm just going to outline that really, really quickly. Humans with God. So colonizers never acknowledged that God was already in Canada, that God was already here preparing people to receive the good news that Jesus came to reconcile all of those relationships perfectly. Distance was created between First Nations people and God, and it didn't have to be that way. Also, the relationship between humans and the earth was broken. As the reserve system was set up, people were removed from their traditional territories, traditional ways of life, but also 
removed from the ways that people connected with God, with Creator. And then, as children were removed from their smaller reserves and taken to residential schools, they were cut off from their traditional lands. The relationship was severed between people and the earth. The relationship was also severed between humans and each other. Now, residential schools were intentionally designed so that children would be removed from their families, breaking relationship between children and their parents because that's the primary conduit of culture, of transferring culture from generation to generation. Children were even uh, separated from their brothers and their sisters when they got to the schools. And then when kids went back home, their relationship with their parents was broken because all of a sudden they felt shame. And that brings us to that last relationship that was broken between humans and themselves. Now, the main aim of the residential schools was to, quote, kill the Indian in the child, causing shame. This shame was the reason why I hid my First Nations identity for most of my life. It's the reason why we see the depth of issues in Thunder Bay. It's the reason why a First Nations man that I recently chatted with told me about how the church taught him to hate himself. The church was not living into its divine calling to be bridge builders, to participate in God's mission to reconcile all things. The church was actively working against the reconciliation of all things and therefore actively working against God. Here's where the good news is though, the hope. As our eyes are opened, as God shows us something different, as we see the injustices in the world, but we're also given this full and beautiful picture of the reconciliation of all things and the new heaven and the new earth and our job participating in ushering in the kingdom now, we step into our purpose and our identity as bridge builders. And we have this message for the world that is really, really good news. This message of reconciliation is good news for indigenous people. It is good news for the next generation that really cares about injustice and climate change. It is really good news for the poor, and it's really good news for the rich. And it's good news for the refugee, and the immigrant, and the artist, and the logger, and the fisherman, and the stay-at-home mom. And it's good news for the sinner, and the saint, and the skeptic, and the grandparent, and the grandchild, and the parent. It is good news for everybody. Uh, I recently read a book called Good News and Good Works by Ronald J. Sider, and he writes this. I'm absolutely convinced that this full biblical gospel is what our broken world needs. It certainly needs the fantastic news of forgiveness, but it also longs to hear and see the amazing truth that right now there is a reconciled and reconciling community that broken people can enter and be loved and nurtured towards wholeness. If even a quarter of the world's Christians would both preach and live Jesus' full gospel of the kingdom, we would see revival and church growth on a scale never before seen. In addition, the world would become a better place. I know that my calling is to be a bridge. I know that I have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and that I've been invited to participate in his ministry of reconciliation. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is your calling as well. Uh, in closing, I just want to tell one, one just small, small story. I think I'm probably over time, but you know, you, I'm a pastor, you give a mic. 
to a pastor and we just start talking. Uh, I recently uh, sat in on a seminar given by Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould was the federal minister of justice. She's actually from the same First Nation as I am from. I don't know her, but I'd like to meet her someday. But anyways, she was giving this talk about um, truth and reconciliation. And essentially, she was saying that in her time with the government, uh, what she realized is that the government can't do First Nations reconciliation, can't do Indigenous reconciliation the way that it should be done. Uh, she was talking, and, and so one of the questions was, uh, what do we do then? How do we make a difference? And it was an audience uh, of primarily uh, white people sitting in the audience asking, what should we do? And she says, and to my knowledge, I don't know that she's a follower of Jesus, but she says, everybody in Canada needs to be in-betweeners. Everybody in Canada needs to be an in-betweener, to stand in the gaps, to bridge the divide. She was calling us to be a bridge. As Christians, we are made for this. We are wired for this. We are called to be God's ambassadors of reconciliation. We could and we should be leading the way, and I am, sh I am sure that we can. It starts with being reconciled to God through Jesus, and as we are, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, and we ourselves become reconciled in all those other spheres of our lives, and then we become a picture of heaven on earth, in all of our churches dotted across the nation, it spreads out into the world and we begin participating in God's ministry of reconciliation. Let it be so. I just want to close in prayer uh, over you guys, and then I guess you're coming on up. Okay, let me pray for you guys. Father, I just thank you for this church community uh, in this beautiful location. Um, and Father, I just ask that... Um, as this church considers um, how to participate in this ministry of reconciliation, Lord, that you would begin providing vision and direction and relationships, and you begin preparing the hearts of the people inside this church and outside of the church walls to step into um, your kingdom in a new, fresh way. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Melissa. I'm just going to grab a table here and a couple chairs. Uh-oh. I'll trade you. And, uh, a couple chairs. Thanks for bearing with us here, team. Um, so, uh, Melissa, I really appreciate the uh, casting a, just a, a theological framework for understanding our calling as the church, as people called to reconcile. So, uh, as I as I listen this morning, it's it's not a question of whether or not we should be part of this. <laughs> this is the man. This is the calling the Lord has given the church is to be people of reconciliation. Uh, but the the big question is how, right? How how do we do that? How do we do that well? And so we we got a few questions that are coming in. But the first one that I want to ask. Uh, it revolves around just a, a practical piece. Sometimes you go to up at the university or uh, in, in various places, people will give a land acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about relationship with the land. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that, the significance? I've, I've heard some churches give land acknowledgements. What, what, what can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, at our last church, uh, we were pastors at a church in Vancouver. Uh, we moved towards giving a land acknowledgement before every service, and we're actually moving towards that at our church in Thunder Bay. And the reason why is um, there can be no reconciliation without truth. Uh, whenever something is swept under the rug, um, how, how can relationship really happen? And so a land acknowledgement, at least my understanding, and of course, I don't speak on behalf of all First Nations people. Uh, different people have different, op uh, different uh, uh, opinions. But a land acknowledgement is simply an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement that there is a history to this place that goes further back than before anybody else or any other settlers were in this area. Uh, however, a land acknowledgement without action can be hollow. So um, to do a land acknowledgement, and even if the action is prayerfully considering God, how are you asking us to participate in reconciliation? Um, in my opinion, that's a great starting point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a question that's come in, uh, what are some practical ways that we can build bridges with Indigenous people uh, here in the Okanagan without coming across as with the, sa the savior complex yeah. uh, or, or being paternalistic? Yeah. I, I recently uh, had a conversation with Ray Aldred, who um, leads, um, oh, what is the program called at Vancouver School of Theology? North American Indigenous Training School. Anyway, it's the, it's the Indigenous um, Focus uh, Masters of Divinity uh, at Vancouver School of Theology. Anyway, Ray Aldred was sharing with me how um, uh, his definition of racism has become any time we go in with an attitude that the other person has nothing to offer me, um, that's a sure sign that we're carrying some sort of inherent unacknowledged racism. Uh, and so uh, I think entering into friendship with people um, from a posture of humility and the willingness to listen and learn. And I firmly believe that unless our churches, I mean, when we're in the new heaven and the new earth, every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be there worshiping before the Lord uh, in their own languages with their own cultural expression of worshiping God. Uh, the more multicultural we are in our expression, the more we are a picture of the heaven and the earth to come. So we actually, we've got something to learn. I think one of the things we have to learn is the relationship to God um, through creation. Uh, so when we approach relationship um, from a posture of we have something to learn, all of a sudden, it's, a it's just a posture of humility. Yeah. Good. I don't know if that answers your well, question. It, it, yeah, it, it does. I think that uh, we can maybe pull out some practical things, but let's, yeah. I, this is good. We're getting a, a, a survey because there's a few questions that are really touching on... I've got on some practical th th I, things too, but go, go for no, it. No, you go for it. They're, <laughs> we're here to hear from you, not me. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, we've done, so our church, uh, my church in uh, Thunder Bay uh, is a primarily white church. Um, and so them hiring me as an Indigenous woman was an act of reconciliation in our city. Um, I've, I've been able to bridge the gap between our church and First Nations people in our city, even though I'm new. And even though I am a guest on the land uh, in Thunder Bay, it's not my First Nation. So I'm approaching it with a, as, a, as a listener and as a learner as well. Uh, and so I think um, making decisions about land acknowledgements 
or, or what are some practical steps we're going to take, you, you need to have First Nations people at the table hmm. participating and helping to make decisions. And now, if there are no First Nations people <laughs> around, then pray about it. Ask God to, to, to open up avenues for friendship. And that's what we did when we moved to Thunder Bay, and God is opening up the doors. So Yeah. And, uh, you know, some, I think that this even is a practical step that a church, a collective church can take. We can learn, yeah. uh, right? We can lean in. Uh, we can read uh, some, some books. Uh, I had, you know, uh, someone take me to, we went over to the west side to the, to the, um, uh, to the uh, museum to learn a little bit more about our First Nation. Uh, and, uh, but they were closed when we got there. But uh, now, there's a free, we should have called There's a free ahead. course yes. through the University of Alberta. And now I'm blanking on the name of the course. Has anybody taken it? Yeah, a few, a few people in our congregation have, I, I know, uh, yeah. I've seen, but... Uh, yeah, that's, that's an excellent resource, just to understand Canada's history. I think a big piece is that um, if you're above a certain age, <laughs> you didn't learn about the residential schools or treaties or Canada's history from an Indigenous perspective. And so for those of us above a certain age, there are so many resources to learn, and unless we have a common shared history, uh, reconciliation is going to be really, really hard. Hmm. Yeah. So here's a, a question that, that connects a little bit to shame uh, uh, as, as you've been speaking about it. So I'm going to read the question as it comes. So it seems a lot of the messaging surrounding this topic in Canadian culture is designed to make white people ashamed of who they are in their past. Mm. Uh, so how can white Canadians think about their past and possible reconciliation without creating more shame for who they are? Yeah, that's a really good question. Now, I'm going to take off my First Nations hat now, and I'm going to put on my white hat, because I can do that. I only have one, uh, my, just uh, to be clear. Uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think that one of the... I mean, when we were discussing at our last church whether or not we were going to do land acknowledgements, um, some of the questions were about um, feeling bad that I own a house uh, in this land and the land is never going to go back. I mean, it's a very nuanced conversation, uh, a very difficult conversation. However, one of the things that I don't know that we do well as a church overall is grief and lament. Uh, there's a difference between shame and grief and a holy conviction. <laughs> Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit convicting us that something went wrong. And so to recognize that um, I might hold inherent racism or I may have done something in the past that was harmful or hurtful or um, we've been doing a bad job, that's okay. In fact, we need to move into spaces of lament and feeling bad and feeling sorrowful. That's where repentance happens. Um, what we've done at our church um, in Thunder Bay is we've gone through a year and a half since I got there of an intentional year and a half of repentance. Uh, so as a board, at every board meeting, we start with confession, uh, and we've been confessing all sorts of things. <laughs> uh, we do this as a staff, and now we're beginning to do this as a larger church community. Um, confessing and repenting, so intentionally choosing to turn away from that stuff and turn towards Jesus, but it has involved a lot of tears, uh, it's been a hard season, but so incredibly fruitful. Yeah. I want to add uh, as well, um, just a reflection. 
we live in a flavor of church, so our flavor of church is one where we think about sin, we think about it really in this one relationship that Melissa's spoken about. So we give our confession to God, we say, God, we're sorry we did those things, and we think that it's over. But the big picture is there's a relationship with another person, uh, and simply saying sorry actually doesn't heal the hurt, right? And, yeah. and healing takes time. And so, so, so when we think about reconciliation, it's, we confess. So we might hear, oh, yeah, you're doing this for a while, and can't you just say sorry and it's done, yeah. right? But the reality is no, because relationships don't work yeah. that way. Um, yeah, the, for, the apology is just the first step in reconciliation. It's not the end point. Like, you take it right through the end part, end point. There's also restitution. Um, a, pr a practical example of this is a church that we're partnering with in another Alliance church that is in Manitoba. Um, they have been invited to go into some of those remote northern communities uh, with their recording equipment and their sound text to record um, traditional songs and stories that are at risk of becoming extinct. So how beautiful is that? Where the church uh, historically has been responsible for dismantling culture, and now a church is being invited in to help preserve culture that's at risk of going extinct. That's a very practical uh, way that one church that I know of is participating. Yeah. Uh, so another question here that's come in. Um, most of us uh, in this room are descendants of settlers or settlers ourselves. Uh, we're uninvited guests on the land. So the question is, how might you speak to how we as Christians can be uninvited guests in the Okanagan in a way that honors God and the Silks Okanagan people? Yeah, um, my experience of First Nations people, this is also something that could be a gift to the church, is that uh, First Nations people are generally very kind and very forgiving and very hospitable. Um, uh, I went to a powwow in Thunder Bay and um, I was surprised as they were bringing flags in at the beginning of the powwow. And of course, this was a new experience for me because I'm, like I said, a guest in that area. I went as a learner. And one of them was a Canadian flag. And my husband, um, who's white, was like, if I was First Nations, I wouldn't be walking in with a flag, like a Canadian flag. Uh, but that's been our experience. Um, my husband, Jay, also has said that when he first met my family, that is primarily not Christian, he felt like he received a warmer, more hospitable, more gracious welcome than he had ever had in church before. And so I think um, be open to be surprised, <laughs> maybe is my, is my answer to that question. Great. Uh, another question, uh, and it, it's specific to MCA, so uh, I want to ask it. What are some practical next steps that MCA is going to take to start to reconcile with our local Silks Okanagan nation? Uh, and so uh, let me say a couple things. One, uh, as Brendan so uh, artfully did last week, when, when I think of the church, <laughs> MCA church, I'm not thinking of something happening on this stage, right? <laughs> I think of MCA Church, the people sitting in this pew who are going to go out these doors after the service and be the church in every sense of the word uh, to fill the earth with God's glory. Uh, so the question is, what are we going to do? Uh, and, and maybe the call to that is that's the conversation to have. What are you willing to do? Uh, what are you willing to participate in? 
uh, to be a person of reconciliation. So that's great. But at the same time, uh, as a you know, as a, a group of people who gather on Sunday morning, this is one of the steps, right, to have conversation, to be truth tellers. Uh, one of the, the things that I've said to our staff, and our staff have gone through a number of things. We attended one of Ray Aldred's uh, classes. We did a six-week kind of learning about uh, indigenous spirituality in the church. Uh, and so there are things that we've done kind of as a staff. But one of the things that uh, we've, I've been speaking about with the, the staff is reconciliation to me is a posture. Um, it, it's not as though we're going to come in and do something that's going to fix the relationship. Uh, but what we do now will have bearing on the relationships between the church uh, and indigenous peoples in the future. And so my hope and prayer is that for my children's children, what I do today will affect their relationship uh, with, uh, with indigenous peoples in Canada. And so this is not a quick fix, uh, but it's something as we lean in, tell the truth, uh, you know, uh, and take steps. And so I'm, I know I'm being vague. There are other practical steps to take, um, but uh, uh, I just want a few comments there. Um, uh, okay, what are, some, what are some of the things that you have you've seen, and we've got a, about five minutes left here. What are some of the uh, things that you have seen churches do uh, well uh, that have been helpful uh, in this area? Yeah, um, like I mentioned, this other church that we're partnering with, my friend Nathan, um, do you know Nathan Westlake? I don't. Anyway, he's the pastor of that church. He's actually speaking for me at our church right now. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, um, Nathan and his church have been prayerfully leaning into reconciliation for about 10 years. So, intentionally for 10 years. So, it's been 10 years before some of these invitations started coming in. And one of the things that they did is they looked at their demographic of their city. Um, and their demographic of where they live is about one-third First Nations. So they began praying that the demographic of their church would represent the demographic of the city. And it's taken about a decade, and it does. <laughs> so they've done things like um, land acknowledgements, recognizing that if somebody comes in who is First Nations, uh, that's an acknowledgement that you are seen. Um, cultural training for the prayer team uh, so that in our prayer, if we're praying with people, we're praying in a way that isn't offensive. Um, uh, teaching, lots of teaching events, uh, educational opportunities, um, and just the encouragement to continue reaching out to friendship. But I think the big thing that I can't emphasize enough is just that posture of humility, yeah. that I have something to learn and maybe taking away uh, the idea that I have something to teach. So maybe then the counter question is like, what are some of the, the, the harmful things? Sometimes churches, you know, and, and people, Christian people, we, we cause harm. We don't intend to sometimes. Yeah. Uh, maybe we do it unknowingly, sometimes knowingly, uh, hopefully not knowingly. Uh, but what are some ways that you see churches perpetuate racism? Yeah, I think um, without realizing it, and I know that the heart is there, make, like I said, making decisions to come in and repair relationships or do programs without having a First Nations input into the plan, uh, that, could, that could stop a whole lot of things from happening that could potentially cause offense or break relationship without us even realizing that we're doing it. And I'm saying we too, because I have done this as well. Um, uh, the cultural training for the prayer team is especially important. Um, we once had 
um, and thankfully this was a First Nations woman who was very strong in her faith, uh, set up an appointment with me because she was quite upset that somebody had been praying with her and telling her that her culture was um, demonic in the prayer time. Uh, and so she came to me and said, I believe that God values and honors my culture. Um, and if I was not a Christian, I would walk away from Jesus and your church right now. And so that's when we were like, ah, we got to do some cultural training with our prayer teams. Um, yeah, I think being aware, we get used to, like this, you know, our church spaces, we get used to it because this has been part of our culture and we're used to it, but becoming aware of how our church, our churches, and I'm saying our church because we're all part of the same church family, uh, feels very comfortable to us. Um, but what are the ways in our churches where we've introduced things from the culture that we don't even question or acknowledge anymore, but from somebody from a different culture coming in, they will see it and notice it uh, and perhaps see it more as a reflection of Western culture than kingdom culture. Um, that's another reason why we need many cultures in our church to help point us, point, to, point out our own idols and the things that stand in the way of God. Uh, can we give uh, our appreciation to uh, Melissa? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I'm sure she'd be happy to have a, a, a little conversation with you after the service as well. Um, uh, but let me say a couple things in, in conclusion as we wrap things up. Uh, so, uh, we, like we did last week, we want to kind of put our money where our mouth is as we talk about Let's Talk. Uh, and so, uh, uh, so uh, you know, as a church, we want to we help our city uh, in practical steps uh, in, in various ways. And so, uh, the board uh, made the decision. We had a bit of a surplus last year, uh, and we put some money aside to give into our community because we want to live into our, our value, our vision of engaging the people and needs in our city. And so, for each week uh, in June, uh, we're, we're going to release some of that money uh, into our city to help. And so this week, uh, the, the, we're giving $2,000 to the Kelowna Friendship Center. Uh, and, and so they're a local group. And so let me read kind of what, what they're about. It says, the Friendship Center provides for the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being of all peoples through the development of community-based services while encouraging the community to preserve, share, and promote Aboriginal cultural distinctiveness. Uh, and so, and so we're, we're being part of that. And so uh, I want to also remind you as you go, uh, in our little pamphlet, you can find the questions on truth and reconciliation. There's some great resources there. Uh, there's questions for you to discuss, maybe over lunch, maybe in your circle uh, that you meet with. Uh, we encourage you to that as you continue this. The, uh, and there are two books in the resource center, or in the resource section. Get those books. Uh, they're both uh, uh, amazing uh, and uh, almost a, a must-read, uh, as, uh, uh, as Melissa has pointed them out, and I've read those books uh, as well. Uh, and then also the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Calls to Action. Uh, it doesn't take long to read, but read through. One of the things that uh, our, um, uh, Indigenous people in Canada are, are asking is that people tell the truth and they have a conversation. Uh, they've asked churches specifically to do that. Uh, and so one way we can practically be part of reconciliation is doing that. That's what this is about. Uh, and so, uh, and so uh, uh, we're, you'll be dismissed in just a moment. I just want to let you know just one quick announcement uh, for those of you who, who knew Bev Weeb. Uh, her memorial service uh, is taking place tomorrow at 10 a.m. at Springfield, uh, and the family wanted me to let you know about that. We sent out an, uh, uh, an electronic bulletin on that as well, and so you can find some, some details there. Okay, let's stand uh, as I send us out.
as you go from this place, uh, we go marked with God's Holy Spirit. He is the one who has reconciled us in, in all these four relationships. Uh, and so as you go, go in the power of Jesus' love, his compassion, and his peace. Because uh, our city needs to know it. Okay, go in peace. Thanks for being here.